Welcome to Swana Region Radio, a weekly review of politics and culture, bringing you the voices of the voices from Kolkata to Casablanca here on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, and 93.7 FM in Northern San Diego, as well as streaming worldwide on kpfk.org. My name is Rana Sharif, and I am a member of the South Asia, West Asia, and Northern Africa, or SWANA Collective, that brings you your weekly half-hour, or SWANA Region Radio, show on KPFK. Thank you to our sister show here on KPFK, Middle East in Focus. We will be broadcasting an additional half hour. My co-hosts today are fellow collective members, Ankine Antaram and Suraya Zarouk. Welcome to the show today, Ankine and Suraya. Thank you, Rana. On today's show, we host members of the Palestinian Feminist Collective, the PFC, a turtle island-based body of Palestinian Arab women and feminists committed to Palestinian liberation and beyond to discuss the collective, its genesis, the work it envisions, and to share its recently launched 2023 Palestinian Feminist Futures Calendar and Program. Thank you, Rana Anankine. Joining us today are PFC members Lubna Kutami and Amanda. Lubna Kutami is an assistant professor in Asian American Studies at UCLA. Lubna is a co-founder and current member of the PFC, an alumni of the Palestinian Youth Movement, and the former executive director of the Arab Cultural and Community Center in San Francisco. Amanda has been a member of the PFC since 2020 and is a teacher of Arabic and Palestinian literature. Last May, the PFC released a love letter to our people struggling in Palestine. The letter can be found, excuse me, can be found on the PFC social media feeds on Facebook and Instagram in both Arabic and English. And we will link it to our Swana Region radio social media accounts as well. The letter reads in part, your relentless will to remain on the land is a source of inspiration, perseverance, and fortitude. Once again, Palestinians from the far north to the far south of our homeland are defying settler colonialism's attempts to partition land and people. From the Galilee to Gaza, you reveal the geography of Palestine in the face of military brutality and international impunity. State and settler violence and ethnic cleansing in Sheikh Jarrah and the Al-Aqsa compound are not exceptions. They are part of an ongoing nakbim that has spanned Palestinian time and space since 1948. To hold our Palestinian sisters, your steadfastness to hold ground at the risk of injury and death and against all odds is our fortitude. Gendered violence is core to settler colonial practice. We stand with you as you resist this masculinized and militarized colonization. We share in your pain from the renewed assault on Palestinian life and land. We are enraged as settlers wreak havoc and call for the death of our people. We stand vigilant as you withstand airstrikes in Gaza and stun grenades, tear gas, skunk water, rubber bullets, and the desecration of our sacred sites in Jerusalem, no less during the month of Ramadan. We stand with you as you resist the media's violent erasure of the Palestinian struggle. The letter continues. 
We are rising up across cities in the heart of the U.S. empire that has fed the colonization and dispossession of the Palestinian people. Our vision for a radically different future is based on equality, justice, and life-affirming interconnectedness. We honor your voices, perseverance, and samud, and promise to continue our joint struggle for justice and liberation in Palestine and the Shatat. Signed, In Struggle, the Palestinian Feminist Collective. Thank you so much for that really wonderful reading, Rana. Um, I really love this love letter, um, especially the way that it names really specifically the violences of settler colonialism. I appreciate that it upholds the love that Palestinian people have for each other and that they inspire in all of us who stand with them in solidarity with their resistance. Amanda and Lubna, thank you so much for joining us today. Perhaps we can begin by sharing with our listeners the story, the history of the Palestinian Feminist Collective. How did you both become engaged with it? Lubna, why don't we begin with you? Uh, Thank you so much for inviting us to be here today. I'm very happy to be here. And I think, you know, the Palestinian Feminist Collective, we began conversations with one another about two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, It was in the thick of the COVID-19 pandemic, where many of us were aware of the various forms of isolation that we were all enduring, as were so many different communities, Um, but also a moment where we were um, really craving and needing community and reminded that Palestinians of the diaspora have long kept our connections to our homeland and to one another alive, precisely through organization. Um, At the time, there was a group uh, within the Palestinian Youth Movement, the PYM Women's Committee, that was preparing a a women's platform, a deep study into the history of Palestinian women's movements, um, who, you know, and the group decided that we wanted to open up the conversation to a much larger group of Palestinian feminists who need not be, indeed, many who were not youth or members of the Palestinian Youth Movement. And so the conversation began among Palestinian feminists, primarily at that time in the United States, uh, but then expanding to Canada, we regard it as Turtle Island, uh, the unceded lands known um, as North America. And we really came together responding to a call from our Palestinian siblings in Palestine who were talking about the rise of feminicide in Palestine, it was not necessarily a geographic aberration. Um, With the economic crisis happening across the global south, with um, the crisis of nationalist populism happening across the world, um, global refugeehood, displacement, wars, um, climate catastrophe, all of these things contributed to and intersected with a rise in gendered and sexual violence and feminicide across the world. Um, including in Palestine. And so one of the predicaments that our siblings in Palestine were experiencing is that they were saying that a lot of times in in organizing spaces, a lot of them were from 1948 Palestine, so technically citizens of the Israeli state. And they were saying a lot of the times when we want to address gendered and sexual justice and freedom, it's in these coalitional spaces with um, Israeli women's movements um, who deny Uh, the space for Palestinians to talk about liberation from colonization and to address gendered and sexual justice and freedom through an approach that also centers Palestinian liberation more broadly from colonization. Um, And on the flip side, in their experiences with um, 
with Palestinian political organizing spaces, they were told by a lot of their comrades that gendered and sexual justice and freedom is secondary to national liberation and isn't the priority for the moment. And so this age old debate of what has been happening in political organizing spaces was continuing and a new generation of young organizers were saying, no, we, we really need to, to tackle this head on. We need to insist that there cannot be a free homeland without free women, that gender and uh, sexual justice and freedom are deeply intersectional to decolonization uh, and anti-colonization. And for us in you know, Turtle Island, responding to that call from our feminist um, sisters in Palestine also allowed us to have a, a initial conversations about the way that um, feminism, feminist circuits in the United States have weaponized feminism against Palestinian freedom, right? So we, it was, this is a, a few years off of the heels of the, a resurgence of the Zionist feminist movement entering into mainstream U.S. women and feminist organizing spaces like the U.S. Women's March and policing, surveilling, and silencing Palestinian and Arab feminist voices. So we really felt at that time we had a responsibility not only to stand with and support our feminist sisters and siblings in Palestine, but also to confront the various ways that Zionist and um, liberal imperial feminism in the United States continues to be weaponized against the Palestinian people and struggle. And the fact that we were in the middle of the pandemic and craving that community with one another was really the breeding grounds that brought us together for those initial discussions um, in March, April, May, and, and June of 2020. Thank you, Lubna. You know, we recently had a panel discussion with Iranian feminists and they mentioned the same thing that they were told for so long, it's not your time, wait. Uh, so it is clear from the statement when I just read that Palestine is indeed a feminist issue. So gendered violence is part of the system of a masculinized and militarized colonization. Uh, but then feminism is an often misunderstood or uh, mischaracterized concept uh, perhaps challenged due to its assumed links to the West. How does the PFC address the tensions of this term and how did a consensus come, if at all, to what it means to embody feminist ethics? Amanda, why don't you start us off? Thank you so much. It's such a great question. Um, and I think I would start off by saying, in all transparency, it's important for that question to be a living one. So defining our feminism, defining what Palestinian feminism means um, is not an achievable endpoint. It's an ongoing process of transformation and, and response. But I think as you, you noted in your reading of uh, the pledge that Palestine is a feminist issue, we started off by really figuring out what we're not, right? And so addressing, yes, the fact that Palestinian fem feminism is going to be a response to gendered and sexual violence um, and a demand for freedom around reproductive uh, justice, combating femicide, gender and sexual violence, inherent to Zionism, all of those things, we first had to reconcile the fact or address the fact that we um, had to first define what we are not, what feminism for us is not, so that it stands in contrast to liberal feminist traditions in the US um, that, as we know, continue, and as Lubna addressed, continue to weaponize feminist discourses against Palestinians and other marginalized communities um, by failing to confront the structural forms of gendered and sexual violence inherent to settler colonialism and imperialist wars, racialist capitalism, 
um, so on and so on. So I think that was really an important starting point for us, especially because we recognize within our own communities that this was also going to be an ongoing education process, that feminism for us was not an alignment with those principles, um, that really a project of defining Palestinian feminism was an internal project of redefining that terms for ourselves and continually setting those parameters from within. Thank you so much, Amanda, for that. And um, I really appreciate your kind of gesture towards feminist as a, a living term, right? This is something that we are constantly and consistently working through in the PFC. Um, and so I wanted to ask you both if we could step back a little bit, and, and Lubna, you already gestured to this a little bit in your um, first response, and if we could share with our listeners what conversations were happening in, uh, in Palestine and Palestine and locally that were informing this work. And I know that you talked about the um, the women's um, uh, working group in the PYM, but if we could talk a little bit about the working groups within the PFC too, what are the kinds of tensions that they're addressing to build off of what Amanda just shared, the kind of internal issues that we're working through, but also what we are not in terms of Western imperial powers? Lubna, um, please go ahead. Yeah, that's such a great question. And, you know, I have to say that um, what I really appreciate about being in the PFC space and what Amanda spoke to about defining our feminism and practicing it, being on our own terms, being an ongoing process, always requiring revision um, and, you know, the engagement of theory and practice together. When, when Amanda talks about us really coming to terms with what our feminism is not, in many ways that aligns with what we call our anti-colonial um, um, ethos, right? What are we fighting? What are the systems and structures of oppression that we are trying to tear down? Um, and we recognize that imperial feminism, liberal feminism, uh, feminisms that justified the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, feminisms that criminalize black and brown communities in the US are part of the structures of oppression that we're trying to tear down. And they are the things that we are rejecting, the things that we are not, that we're defining ourselves um, not um, in in relation to, but actually in opposition to. But on the flip side, I think, Rana, your point is in a really important one, which is that the Palestinian Feminist Collective is not just about reacting, right? We didn't, we're not just defining ourselves based on what we're not. We're about coming together and creating definitions of who we are, what we believe in, what grounds us together. And we call that our life-affirming decolonial approach, right? And we see these two approaches, anti-colonial and life-affirming decolonial, going hand in hand. While we tear down the stru structures and systems that harm us, we are building up freedom-loving societies. We are building up uh, visions and practices that nurture all of us, that recognize gender and sexual justice as inherent to liberation, that recognize liberation of the land and of all beings, human and non-human beings, as essential to Palestinian political liberation that recognizes um, liberation of all people, not just Palestinians, right? Uh, liberation of our co-strugglers who are fighting against many different systems of oppression as essential to Palestinian liberation as well. So as we define um, the feminism that we're not, um, we're also really coming to together to talk about what we are for, who we are and, and what we are for. And I think there's kind of two ways that I think We've really been engaging that in, in the PFC, both within the life-affirming work and the anti-colonial um, work um, in the PFC. One is that we are paying critical attention to the uh, 
gendered and sexual um, justice and freedom issues that require a feminist um, intervention and analysis and, and organizing practice, right? So recognizing that, you know, Palestinian women are continuously harassed and targeted um, by the Israeli occupation, that so many Palestinian mothers have had to give birth at checkpoints, recognizing the kind of sexual violence and torture that happens to Palestinian prisoners, right? Recognizing the intra-communal um, sexual and gendered violence that happens in our households, in our own communities that gets silenced, whether it's in Palestine or in the diaspora. So in that way, we are talking about what we're for, um, that we are for a society that's free of all that stuff and a cultural transformation in our society um, that allows us to combat all those things. But the other thing that I think is really important about the PFC is that when we talk about feminism, it's not specific to women or queer or genderqueer communities. It's also about a vision for the world that we wanna be in, a vision for the future that we wanna be in. That also includes cishet men, right? It also includes an analysis on border regimes and prisons and capitalist extraction, things that are typically relegated as outside of the quote unquote feminist domain, right? It's about building a vision and a practice for a world that we can all live in um, together in justice and safety and dignity. And you are listening to Suwana Region Radio on independent and listener-sponsored KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in Northern San Diego, as well as streaming worldwide on kpfk.org. My name is Anki Nantaram, and I'm here with my Suwana colleagues, Rana Sharif and Soraya Zarouk. And today we are speaking with members of the Palestinian Feminist Collective, Lubna Kutami and Amanda to discuss the collective, its genesis, and the work it envisions. Soraya. Um, thank you for that beautiful answer, Lubna. So last Women's History Month, the, the PFC released a pledge, which we will link to on our social media accounts and that we encourage folks to sign. The pledge reads, in the interest of advancing a truly intersectional and decolonial feminist vision for the United States, Palestine, and our world, we, the signatories, hereby pledge to, number one, embrace and advocate for Palestinian liberation as a critical feminist issue, number two, support Palestinian rights to free speech and political organizing everywhere, Number three, reject the conflation of anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism, in particular the legal enforcement of the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance's definition of anti-Semitism. Number four, heed the call of Palestinian civil society for boycott, divestment, and sanctions. Number five, divest from militarism and invest in justice and community needs on Turtle Island. And number six, call for an end to U.S. political, military, and economic support to Israel and to all military, security, and policing collaborations. Um, and I know you just sort of spoke about how, you know, this, this statement is also sort of what you just described, this future vision that we're imagining, right, where everyone is safe and everyone can live in dignity. Could you speak to how each of these um, uh, pledges sort of speak to and capture the PFC's commitment to liberation for all? Um, Amanda, you can start with any of the any of the items. Yeah, sure. Well, actually, I think I would want to start um, by also just addressing the significance of this moment for us as the PFC, because this was a moment when we were really coming together to talk through collectively what our guiding principles were 
um, how we were going to be defining our actions within the collective, um, not only as a guiding ethos for how we were gonna respond to settler colonial violence, but as Lubna was addressing so eloquently before, what we stand for, the world that we wanna create. And that um, has been a process for us, but it has been a focus from the beginning because we don't only want to be constantly put in the position where every activity, um, every initiative, every response that we formulate is a response to violence, even though that's absolutely integral and important to the work we do, but we're trying to create, right? We're trying to create spaces, we're trying to create conversations, we're trying to create learning environments. Um, and so the, these principles were kind of our, our, I don't want to say first step because I'm very, very happy with them and they are still central to what we do, but this was, you know, part of the process, which is exactly what we're trying to do as a collective is continually be in process. So this was part of our first process at developing those, those guiding, that guiding ethos. Thank you, Amanda. Um, Lubna, would you like to speak to the genesis of these? Uh, the, and as um, Amanda just noted, this is a process. It's an ongoing process. And I think that that reflexivity that you talked about in terms of the life affirming and the decolonial is very much about what the PFC is and does and has been and its genesis. But these specific um, pledges right, are really central to kind of identifying what we are not and what we are for. Um, so, for example, and I'm just going to um, bring attention to reject the conflation of anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. This is a really important kind of, um, for those of us doing and have been doing this work for a long time, have been plagued, right, like by this concept of having to distance ourselves from not anti-Semitic work. But I think it's so central to to the PFC, but also it's an opportunity to teach, to engage communities to look into this further. So if you could speak to this one or any of the other pledges and how they really ground um, how we see the future of the PFC kind of mobilizing and not just responding, Amanda, to your point, right? Like we're not always just stopping bleeding, right? Like the idea is to build new ways of being and existing that affirms Palestinian life. Yeah, no, these are these are great points. And I think, you know, the example that you gave, Arana, about the IHRA definition, this isn't something that just came out of a vacuum. This came out of over a year of discussion within the PFC where we were talking about our specific context in the United States, especially, where, you know, the kind of doxing and bullying and repression campaigns that happened to Palestinian teachers and workers and academics, people being fired from their jobs, a lot of times you know, progressives will have an awareness that there's like a silencing campaign against Palestinians, but there's not a familiarity on how that's a feminist issue. And so part of our conversation for a year was how so many of these vilification campaigns were gendered, right? Were, um, you know, included threats of sexual violence, included um, threats of leaking images, right? Like unsavory images of Palestinian women and feminists, right? Weaponizing, um, weaponizing gender and sexuality against Palestinians and our co-strugglers um, in the in the pursuit of trying to silence us. And so part of our inclusion of that language in the pledge is that this IHRA definition, like it suppresses our ability to even talk about who we are, what we're enduring. And if there is no right to have freedom of speech or free intellectual inquiry or free intellectual exchange, then there's no way that Palestinian narratives or Palestinian feminist narratives can be known. 
Um, but on the flip side, when you're talking, when we're talking about not just what we're against, but what we're for, I want to go to the example of number six, the call for an end to U.S. political, military, and economic support to Israel and to all military security and policing collaborations. That point was important for us because we had a discussion about, are we just calling for solidarity from our co-strugglers, or are we also pledging our commitment in the language that we're writing for us to actually pledge to be against any of these military security or policing arrangements, which also harm black and brown communities here in the United States. So I think that that was kind of the ethos with which the pledge was written. It's not just a reaction or a rejection to the systems that are harming us, but it's also something tangible that we and our allies can do together um, to not just protect Palestinians, but to protect all of our communities. And have you formed collaborations with feminists or women's groups in the region with um feminists in other countries or ethnic groups, for example. Lubna, should we start with you? I think the will and the commitment is there. It's We're still in like the process and really formulating that practice, I think. I, I don't mean to jump in, uh, Lubna. I think that one of the kind of characteristics of what it means to build and work with others is also to do the work, the base building work within the collective. And Ankine, I think that that's one of the things that the PFC, it's like, um, slow and steady wins the race. And I think that right now we're just so committed to like really grounding ourselves in a way that I think is authentic and powerful and then be able to build the kinds of collaborations and allyships that speak to who we are and how we exist without compromising any of that. And I think that that, to Lumna's point, takes is taking time, um, but the will and the intention is definitely is definitely there. Um, so. And I, and, I, and I say this as someone who I think, and, and actually Lubnan pointed this out, is that there were folks within um, 48 Palestine who were talking about things that are happening and not finding a space and place to be able to have those conversations. And so we're all already starting those conversations, but I do think that for us, it's really important to really define the presence of what we are as a collective. And I think that that's the work that we're doing. And it's difficult because we are, recognizing that there are a multiplicity of voices and histories and definitions of feminism and inroads to feminism and feminist critique and ethics. But I think that right now where we are is really just to amplify this space so that way we can continue that and build those collaborations in the future. And I don't know, Lubna and Amanda, if there's anything else that you'd like to add to that. Yeah, I would just say that the will and the commitment is there. The conversations with Kashmiri, with Armenia and with Iranian feminists, it's there. Um, very slow and very developing. But I think, Rana, you, you named it perfectly, which is that for us, you know, it's important to move past symbolic gestures of solidarity and to move toward a deeper, more meaningful relationship building. And we know that we can't do that as a collective if we don't build a culture and, and, a, and a movement space amongst ourselves that keeps us together and able to move in alignment with our co-struggler feminists from the region and black and brown and indigenous feminists here on Turtle Island as well. So I think that it's all um we're we I think of the PFC as a as a project in becoming, as a as a movement in becoming. And I think that's um a really healthy way to think about a movement practice that is in it for the long haul. When we come back, we'll continue discussing the Palestinian Feminist Collective and its Futures Calendar and Program. Stay with us.
Welcome back to Swan Richard Radio, an independent and listener-sponsored KPFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in Northern San Diego, as well as streaming worldwide on kpfk.org. My name is Anki Nantaram, and I'm here with Swana colleagues, Rana Sharif and Soraya Zarouk. Today we are speaking with members of the Palestinian Feminist Collective, Lobna Kutami and Amanda. Rana? Thank you so much, Amanda and Lubna, for outlining the kind of uh, criticality of the PFC. And so now I'd like for us to kind of turn our uh, shift gears a little bit and share with our listeners the PFC's 2023 Palestinian Feminist Futures Calendar and Program um, that was just launched. And so Lubna, if you could begin by sharing with our listeners what this project is and what to look for as a result. Yes, of course. Um, and I know Amanda can share much more around this, but I think I think at the very core, this is an expression of our values. Um, maybe the first really full uh, full expression of our values to to the public beyond just what we stand against and beyond what we're not. I think it symbolizes what we're for. We call it an embodied feminist grammar and poetics of land, life, love, and liberation. Um, to us, to talk about an embodied feminist grammar means that it's more than just words, right? It's the listening, it's the visual components, it's the um, the piercing insights that's offered in the dates um, in the calendar. Many dates and many names were probably unknown to a lot of Palestinians or to a lot of our co-strugglers. And so we really are thinking of um, multiple forms of expression um, to talk about who we are, what we stand for, and the kind of vision of the world that we're um, creating. There's a few different components in the calendar, and I'll let Amanda elaborate more on them, but um, we decided the calendar after many months of discussing that our goal was to come up with a way to express our values to the public, to invite our own communities and our co-struggler co-strugglers into a dialogue of what Palestinian feminism means to us and for them to participate in co-creating Palestinian, the definition of Palestinian feminism with us. Um, and so when we landed on the idea of the calendar, part of the reason was we are, you know, we're, because we're based in Turtle Island, we're deeply inspired by Black and Indigenous and third world um, immigrant, you know, uh, feminists of color cooperatives and collectives. Um, and we're also sorely aware that we're detached from our own homeland, right? Like we don't, many of us don't have access to our land. So for us, one of the questions was, how do we look to our own Palestinian history, whether in the homeland or in the diaspora, to talk about our own indigenous feminism, right? What is what is Palestinian? How does it align and overlap and resemble and parallel other um, indigenous and third world and Black feminist uh, forms of thought. And so we decided a calendar because we really wanted to center the idea that the past is informing our present, it's deeply connected to the present, and that understanding them together is really important for envisioning and practicing for the creation of the future that we want to see. Um, so that's how we decided on a calendar. We included art um, from 15 different Palestinian women artists. I'll let Amanda describe that a little more. We included many anniversary dates in Palestinian history, including feminist anniversaries, um, commemorations of massacres and catastrophes, um, anniversaries of resistance histories and resistance cultures, um, and the names of 50, uh, commemorations of 50 Palestinian 
women um, from our history that whose values and contributions and lives and legacies we hold close and value um, and whose legacies we're building upon. And we also include a chronology of Palestinian feminist and women's organizing that starts in 1893 up until 2020 with the creation of the PFC in Turtle Island. So there's a lot of different educational components in the calendar um, that really is an invitation to our own communities and to our co-strugglers to learn more about our um, history and our traditions and our cultures, our resistance, um, and the, the many uh, ways that we've endured despite the, the various forms of siege and catastrophe and, um, and destruction we've experienced time and again. This is Amanda, and just adding on to that, um, especially in terms of it being an educational document, um, it is really important for us as, as our first really fully developed outward facing project since the pledge um, as an educational project to our own communities, to our co-strugglers and really to anybody else <laughs> who comes upon it. And we hope many people do, but it was also an internal educational document in the sense that these principles were truly developed collectively. It took us three months at the very least um, to work through both the larger picture of what we wanted our principles to be, and then the actual nitty gritty process of writing them out um, again in a truly collective manner uh, through long discussions, through debate, through revision. Um, it was a laborious process. Um, it was definitely a labor of love, but it was not without strife. And I think what I found so enriching about, about it was that very process. Um, because we embodied our praxis in the sense that we did develop it collectively through discussion and debate. Um, and so, you know, it, it embodied our praxis both in how it was developed and how we imagine it um, being deployed in the future in the sense that we develop these principles and then each month the principle is accompanied by an activity. And so, the praxis, of course, being the theory behind uh, what you do and then the act you perform, right? So these are not just principles that are floating out in the air, but things that we will then bring around to um, concrete activities each month in the calendar and, and collectively in both virtual and in-person spaces. So that's the most inspiring thing, at least for me so far with the calendar, has been the development of the principles. Amanda, I understand also that you worked closely with the artists. Could you share that process and the thought that went into selecting artists and their artwork? Who are they? Where are they from? How did the PFC capture the many places where Palestinians reside in 1948, the West Bank, Gaza, and the diaspora? Yes, I'm so happy to talk about that. Um, it's been an amazing and beautiful process to work with these artists all over the world, these Palestinian women. Um, the calendar features 15 women artists. They are, again, from across historic Palestine, but as well in the diaspora, which includes Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey, England, Canada, and the United States. Um, and this was very important to us. Uh, when we decided that we were going to be contacting artists and asking them to contribute specific works that they'd already produced, we first had to, again, collectively define our parameters you know, what, what exactly are parameters for selection? So it was important for us that they be Palestinian women artists, 
that we have an intergenerational diversity so that we're both uplifting new or up and coming artists as well as our established artists that we look up to. Um, again, that we had that broad geographic representation of our peoples in diaspora, um, as well as those standing steadfast on the land. Um, and of course, that the images themselves encapsulate the principle. Uh, so for instance, um, the, the image that we have for January is intended to represent Palestinian Martyrs Day. That's the date that we're commemorating for that month. And so we selected an image by Dunyana Alamur, who was from Khan Yunis. Um, she was 22 years old, studying at Al-Aqsa University. She was studying art, and that is the period in which she was killed by Israeli forces. That was on August 5th, uh, 2022. So um, each of these images was curated very, very specifically um, and in a similar process to that process that happened with the principal, this was done so collectively. Um, it was also a painful process because we fell in love with so many pieces of amazing Palestinian art. And to only be able to select um, 15, which is the, the number that we ended with, um, was very, very difficult. Um, we were also very honored to be able to, to use an, Im an image of Leila Shawa, um, who recently passed only about a month ago now, and her work was selected for the commemoration of Najia Ali's uh, Handala, um, because as you, you may know, she's famous for her reproductions and her imaginative reuse of that image in her work. It was an inspiring process, but I would be lying if I said it wasn't painful. Um, I have many works of art now and saved in my mind that I want to populate my own house <laughs> um, from that experience. Um, so, so yeah, that that was an incredible process uh, of curation. I don't know if you have anything to add about that, Lubna. I think you captured it beautifully, Amanda. Thank you for that, Amanda. So the calendar, in addition to highlighting the brilliant artwork of Palestinian artists, and at the same time acting as an educational tool, does amplify important dates. And like you said, Lubna, uh, to link our past, present, and future. What are some of those dates? I imagine we can't include all of them. And uh, what was the process in selecting what would be highlighted? Lubna, why don't, you, why don't we start with you? Yes, yes, thank you so much for the question. So there were actually two kinds of date selection processes. Um, the first was um, the selection of dates that we were specifically designing our principles around, right? Um, we had a, a list of the things that we value really closely, um, the values that we hold, the principles that we hold. And we're trying to sort of think about which dates in history tell a history of that value and practice, right? So for example, um, the date that the specific anniversary that we're commemorating in December, 2022 is the 1987 Intifada. And this aligns with the principle that we um, uh, have for the calendar for that month, which is the principle of popular uprising, uprisings being a process that regenerates modes of resistance necessary to combat uh, colonialism. Right. And so we, we really had long discussions about the history of the Intifada, about the spirit of um, 
communal interdependence, the spirit of the popular and grassroots character of the uprisings and how that value from history is something we really want to retain as we're building out our feminist future. So that's how we selected the dates, the once a month dates that we are um, aligning our principles and our artwork with and hosting a monthly activity on every month. There is a second selection of dates that was really difficult, which is all the dates that populate the calendar grid. And this was a really difficult process because there's only, there's only so much space, right, on a calendar grid in order to include a history. So a history that is, um, you know, every day has a story. Every community has a story. Every day has multiple stories, depending on the geography that we're talking about or the year that we're talking about. So we had to put establish, as Amanda said, the parameters that we established for the artists, we had to establish some parameters on the dates. And so what we said was, we definitely want to reflect the truth of our history. And part of that truth means um, the brilliant moments of resistance and creativity and community and collaboration. It also means the really painfully endured catastrophes and massacres. It also means the tragic betrayals on the parts of Palestinian and Arab leaders. It also means um, the hidden histories that we don't talk about in the dominant Palestinian um, national movement discourse, right? Um, for example, we talked about the exodus of Palestinian Syrians from Yarmouk refugee camp in 2012. We talked about um, Palestinian massacres that are not named in the history uh, of the dominant national narrative, right? Um, and, and, you know, it was hard because that also meant that we had to include some colonial dates, right? The Balfour Declaration, the Sykes-Picot um, Agreement, like these really important dates in history that have cultivated the political condition that we're in that we didn't really want to commemorate. It's like, why do we want to commemorate these dates that were really atrocious dates that established um, or facilitated our ongoing Nakba, the ongoing catastrophe. But for us, we really thought it was important to include a, a wide breadth of all those histories of feminist, political resistance and colonial um, histories because they are what has shaped our lives. They are what has shaped our struggle. It is what has shaped our collective experience as Palestinians, whether in the homeland or in the diaspora. And though we know there are so many days of history and so many names and figures that we've left out of the calendar, we do feel confident that the dates we have included does represent a wide array or a wide breadth of um, the kind of history that we've endured as, as Palestinians and that we hold close as Palestinian feminists. And just a reminder that you are listening to Swana Region Radio on independent and listener-sponsored KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in Northern San Diego, as well as streaming worldwide on kpfk.org. My name is Anki Nantaram, and I'm here with my SWANA colleagues, Rana Sharif and Soraya Zarouk. And today we are speaking with members of the Palestinian Feminist Collective, Lumna Kutami and Amanda, to discuss the collective, its genesis, and the work it envisions. Soraya. Are there going to be future calendar projects where, you know, all the things that you had to leave out, the artists, the dates will be included, perhaps? Um, I can't, first, I can't certainly say that there will be a future calendar just because it was a lot of work. Um, but I will say that 
the process of working on this calendar has opened a lot of doors for us that we've been thinking about for the future. And so one example I'll give is that when we were putting together the list of 50 names of Palestinian women in history who we wanted to commemorate in this calendar, you know, it was so painful to have to exclude so many other people, right? But, um, you know, some of the names that we identified were people we had never heard of before, right? And some of our members, when they discovered them, they found a book that was written in the early 1900s and started reading their books. And so the very process of doing that research has opened so many doors around, around the kind of historical retrieval that we're interested in, around the kind of feminist revivals that we're interested in. Um, and so I think that there's been a lot of discussion about forthcoming ideas in which we can honor and commemorate dates of history or people that we weren't able to um, in this this time around, but just not sure that it'll be in the form of a calendar. It might be though. Thank you, Lubna. Amanda, would you like to add your thoughts about future calendars? <laughs> She encapsulated my thoughts um, exactly. It was it was such a labor of love and seeing the final product has been, I mean, I'd be lying if I'd say it hasn't been emotional to see the final project um, because I see so many of our members reflected in it. Um, it we may produce another calendar. I, it might be too early for us to say. <laughs> well, I just want to say, I mean, I'm, I'm going off script now and just saying as a PFC member and just, I just am so grateful to the work, Amanda, that you did with the artists and Lubna, just the collective of really, it, it is a beautiful honoring of life, of Palestinian life. And I'm just so grateful and so proud of it. And so thank you so much for all the work that went into it. And I'm so excited to share it with our broader audience. And we'll get an opportunity to share where folks can find out more about the calendar in just a second. But um, continuing, Amanda, you mentioned that the calendar is organized around 13 principles. And I remember those I love that you were in those meetings of editing and going through them. So, you know, uh, I'm always reminded of like Khalil Gibran's work is Love Made Visible. There was a lot of love that went into this calendar. Um, and so I thought perhaps we could have a little bit of a conversation if you could both share how these principles emerged and what the process was like for the PFC to articulate them. And especially given um, the life affirming and decolonial praxis of the PFC, why was it important to capture and highlight these? Um, Amanda, please, if you could go ahead. Yeah, um, very like practically speaking, they emerged through many, many shared Google documents <laughs> and many, many uh, visual edits. Um, yeah, I mean, as, as noted before, it took three months. Um, and so in our in our biweekly meetings, it just started with the conversation of what are some ideas? Like, let's just spit them out and write them down. What are what are some principles that we see as undergirding our practice and our goals and our vision for the future? And so it started from there and then more talks in, in refining those down and then more talks and developing them into group work groups and writing and rewriting. I think that we were able to arrive at the final product for me was like a real testament to um, to the dedication to the project because because of the fact that just like selecting art, how that's painful, um, we all get attached to to our visions, right? And this required a lot of us or perhaps all of us to somehow relinquish ourselves 
and look at the larger goal of what we were trying to produce. Um, and so again, in that way, really embodying uh, this being a collective formation of, of women and feminists. So Amanda and Lubna, how can folks support the work of the, PS, the PFC and learn more about the important work that you are doing? There will be events honoring the principle of each month. Yes, so first of all, order your copies of the calendar. We are accepting a suggested donation of $25 each and in exchange, we will gift you a copy of the calendar which will arrive to your doorstep. It is a beautiful work of art. Um, the text in there is equally um, beautiful and nourishing to the kind of um, political and social vision um, that the Palestinian Feminist Collective really has produced collectively. Um, we also invite our communities to join our monthly activities. So one of the really important things in our discussions regarding the principles was that we wanted to honor the learned lesson from that specific anniversary date um, as we wrote the principle. But we did articulate that not all of our history is you know, romantic and beautiful and that there are really some very difficult, uncomfortable truths in history that we want to contend with. That is what being a feminist formation teaches us, that we cannot evade uncomfortable truths, um, you know, because they because they don't land well with a, a dominant narrative. And so in these monthly events, we hope to honor the histories that inform the principle, to celebrate the principle and think about how it translates into action, but also to uncover some of the uncomfortable contradictions uh, and erasures of our history that um, didn't allow for us to actually properly account for the many mistakes that were made along the way and the many betrayals um, and the many painful things that happened in that history that led us Palestinians uh, to the collective point that we've arrived in today. So we invite you to join us for those discussions. Uh, we invite you to order the calendar. You can visit our new website, palestinianfeministcollective.org. And uh, we, we're really looking forward to being in conversation with everyone, um, you know, toward the future that we're co-creating all together. As we come to a close, Amanda and Lubna, what would you like to share with our listeners about the PFC and about the feminist future that the collective envisions for Palestine, for Palestinians, and for all of us? Because as we know, no one is free unless all of us are free. Yeah, I was wondering if perhaps we could share um, a principle or two from the calendar. I think it would be a wonderful way also for an entrance point for our listeners. Um, I know that that Lubna also has her favorites. Um, my favorite was probably for the 1948 Nakba, even though using favorite with Nakba seems very inappropriate. Um, it reads, we affirm that our land and people are indivisible, are one, sorry. We affirm that our land and people are one indivisible Watan, homeland and peoplehood. We aim to abolish Zionism's systemic regime of rightlessness, dispossession, military occupation, apartheid, siege, war, and gendered and sexual violence that has been ongoing since before the 1948 Nakba. We resist erasure, subjugation, and fragmentation through the restoration of lost land, time, peoplehood, and cultures. We are committed to the reunion of our people, communities, and homeland from the Northern Galilee to the southernmost tip of Al-Naqab, from the Mediterranean coastal lands to the sacred city of Jerusalem, 
to the terrain west of the Jordan River, across historic Palestine, throughout the Shethet, and through our intergenerational connections, diverse and rich traditions, histories, and organizing practices, we affirm that we are one people. Um, and I think what really encapsulates um, this vision for us was, was the painting by Dalia Ali, Once Upon a Time in Lifta, um, which obviously is impossible to describe over audio, but what's pro so provocative for me is that while it does depict the expulsion of our people from that village, there's a way in which it can also be read in the reverse, where you can see the return of our people to that village. And for me, that is central to this principle in the sense that yes, um, Nakba is a commemoration of our traumatic expulsion, but it's also a promise of return. I love that, Amanda. And it, would it be all right if I shared uh, one of the principles that I really love as well? Yes, all right. please. I think I'd like to share the principle for Palestinian Prisoners Day in April. Um, and it, it reads, we embody a collective Palestinian spirit and practice of Samud, steadfastness. Palestinian prisoners teach us that Samud is a revolutionary existence enacted through patience, resilience, defiance, and devotion to liberation. Samud animates our spiritual, emotional, physical, and psychological power and commitment to life beyond colonial violence and authority. We refuse to break under the threat and torture of our colonial and imperial captors. We will not disappear despite settler colonial designs that mandate our annihilation. We endure and persevere in collective struggle until all prisons are dismantled and all of us are free. And I really love that principle because I do think the Palestinian spirit and practice of Samud is what keeps us going day in and day out um, through all of the evisceration and destruction we endure. Um, but I also love this principle because it's talking about how our experience with Samud lends itself to our commitment to a, the abolition of all prisons, not just prisons that are imprisoning Palestinians and until all of our people are free. And I think the image that is coupled with this principle for April uh, drawn by Bissan Arafat, it's an image called the six spoons of freedom. And it's six spoons, I can't really describe it, but beautifully painted six spoons that is a, um, it is an honoring of the Janine Six prison break of last year when six Palestinians broke from the Gilboa high security prison, presumably using no more than a spoon. And to me, the art piece and that story represents that we will use every tool in our arsenal to achieve our freedom and our liberation. And something as simple as a spoon to us is a vehicle toward that liberation. And I just really love this principle and the art piece um, for April, 2023. Thank you, Lubna. I cannot think of a more beautiful way to bring our show to a close. And um, thank you so much, Amanda and Lubna, for reading and for sharing your favorite. It's hard to say favorite principles because I know that I, it's, I, I'm glad I wasn't asked to pick my favorite principle and read it because it would be very challenging. But thank you so much for sharing so generously your commitments to um, our Palestinian people. And um, we are indebted to the space of the PFC. I'm afraid that's all the time we have on our show today, this podcast. 
um, has been a production of the Swana Region Radio Collective that broadcasts weekly on Pacifica Station, KPFK in Los Angeles. The Swana Collective would like to thank our guests, the Mnathami and Amanda, members of the Palestinian Feminist Collective. We encourage our listeners to follow the PFC on their socials, and you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we'll be sure to link them to our show announcement. As the holidays are coming up, please consider supporting this brilliant work by purchasing the PFC's 2023 Palestinian Feminist Futures Calendar as a gift or for yourself. The suggested donation is $25. Also, stay tuned for monthly events highlighting the principles outlined by the PFC in the calendar. Again, thank you, Lubna and Amanda and the PFC for sharing your time with us today. This and all of our shows are available to download at kpfk.org. All of our Swana Region radio shows can be found on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, and Radio Public. Please share our shows with your community and help us get the word out. Thanks as always to Ankin Antaram for post-production and a special thank you to our sister show, Middle East in Focus, for sharing the airtime. My name is Rana Sharif of the South Asia, West Asia, Northern Africa, or Swana Collective. And on behalf of my co-hosts, Ankin Antaram and Sura Yazaruk, and all of our collective members, I would like to wish everyone a wonderful day. Thank you.